What does the Bible really say about money? Spoken by Pastor Peter on. Let me ask you a very important question. The question is simply this How much does money play a role in your life? How much does money play a role in your life? If you tell me that it doesn't play much of a role in your life, you are a liar. Okay, you are lying to me because money does play a role in our lives. We cannot survive in this world in which you and I live in unless we have money, right? We got to pay our bills. We got to provide for our children. We got to do things, right? We got to pay for our student loans. Money is an important aspect to our lives. It's very important, very important. And so you can't sit there and say that money is not an important thing. Right, now, for some of you, you might just say, you know what, I just want to make enough to pay my bills and just maybe have a little extra, to, you know, just maybe go on vacations once in a while. And you're saying, I don't want a lot of money, I just want to have enough. And that's cool if that's you. Some of you here in this room, you're kind of in a place where you're saying, well, you know what, uh, I want to make a lot of money. I want to be wealthy. And you have goals of becoming millionaires or maybe a goal of becoming a billionaire. Some of you might be there, maybe not billionaire, but some of you here are millionaires, right? And you've gotten there in your life. Right? And so you set some goals for yourself. So money is important. No matter how you want to dice it, no matter what, money is important. And Jesus believes it is so as well. So much so that Jesus talks more about money than any other topic in the, in the Gospels, in the four Gospels. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, growing up in my own home, my family, we struggled with money. We lived below the poverty line, all right? My parents made it, they always convinced my sisters and I, they, they made us to be fully aware of how little they had. And so we stressed about that. They couldn't pay bills sometimes. And my father had terrible credit because he charged up his credit card and he couldn't pay it back. And so for many years, we had terrible credit as well. And so we struggled with that. In college, um, I got accepted to college, not because I was a good student. I was actually a pretty bad student growing up. So kids, please, don't, don't be like me, all right? Study hard, listen to your parents. I was an EOF student. Does anyone know what an EOF student is? Anyone know what that is? Many of you don't, you're like, what's EOF? I was an equal opportunity fund student. What that simply meant was that my family lived under the poverty line, below the poverty line. So what that happened was that when I got accepted to college, the government paid for the majority of my education, room and board and everything. My sister was an EOF student as well, Ellen. She got into college because she was a really good student. She didn't necessarily need the EOF to be an EOF student to get into college, but the great thing was that she, her school was all paid for, all right? For me, I wouldn't have been able to go to college. I, I probably would have gone to community college because my grades were so poor. And so because I was an EOF student, they make special sort of, uh, sort of allowances for EOF students. They don't have to have the best grades to get into college because they know that because they lived under financial insecurity that they couldn't really focus on school. And so they kind of let me into school. And so I just kind of got into college because of that. All right. So for my family, I think for me when I was growing up, I said, I want to study harder when I went to college. I want to make some money so that I could support myself, support my family in some ways, and I wanna be generous, I wanna be generous. I was a Christian in college, and I said I wanna be generous to the best of my ability. I don't know what kind of families you grew up in, but the reality is I think for a lot of you, you grew up in families where your mother and your father, they did a really good job of pouring in, investing in your education, doing whatever they could. They worked so hard so that you could have the things that they were not able to have. And if that's you and you fall into that category where mom and dad did everything they could to get you to where you are today, you ought to call them today before you leave this church or after you leave this church and thank them. 
Thank them for how they have invested in you, of how they've spent money so that you can have what you have today. Be grateful for what your parents have done. But the problem I think what our parents didn't do is that they didn't teach us how much money would have a draw in our lives. They didn't teach us the dangers and the pitfalls of what money could do to us if we don't be careful with it. They didn't do that. And in fact, I think for some of our family members, they taught us maybe implicitly, but some of your family, your parents taught you explicitly that you are to only live for money and that's it. And they didn't do a good job teaching you how dangerous money is. And that's why Jesus talks more about money than anything else in the Bible because he knows that there is nothing in this world today that if you want to destroy your life in your relationship with God and just your life in general, kids, hear me on this. If you want to destroy your life, fall deeply in love with money. Your life will be, will be, will be destroyed in a very, very quick fashion here. And so as the, as, the, as the children read this, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about what does the Bible really say about money. We're going to look at it. There's so many things. Guys, I had to, I had to, I had to like look through the, I looked at all the passages where the Bible talks about money. There were hundreds and hundreds of passages. You know how we've chose some topics and there's hardly anything that the Bible talks about? Well, with money, the Bible has a lot to say about money. So I was kind of like sort of, sort of um, uh, figuring out what is the best passage that we can have. So we have a lot of scripture here today. I do hope that many of you would write it down and take it with you this week and use it as passages that you can meditate upon this week. Because no matter what, I think all of us in this room, money has a pull in our lives in such a way that I think it's really hurt us. Hurt our relationship with ourselves, hurt our relationship with other people, and especially hurt our relationship with God. So what does the Bible say about money? The first thing that we learn about what the Bible says about money is that the love of money is the root of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Let's read 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10 again, as the, as the young ladies read for us today. It says, but people who long to be rich, do you long to be rich today? Fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Many of you know this, what this is like. When you fall in love with money, you understand what happens in your life is that you begin to live a life where your life is filled with a lot, a lot of sorrows. The Bible makes it very clear that if you and I fall in love with money, there is no other thing in life that we fall in love with that will destroy our lives more quicker than our love for money. And you have to know that. And young kids, I just want you to know that. College kids, as you're studying, and maybe your parents said, you know, you got to make a lot of money, get a good, get a, go to a good college, work real hard, get a good job, make a lot of money. I'm not telling you not to be wealthy. Some of you actually have a gift to be wealthy. Some of you have a gift to make money. And I think that's a gift that maybe God's given to you, so you should use that gift. I'm not saying don't be wealthy, but what I am saying is this. You can never fall in love with money because nothing will destroy your life more than when you fall in love with money, all right? So how do you know if you've fallen in love with money? How do you know if you've actually fallen in love with money? What is the kind of debt you have today? Consumer debt. All right, let's not talk about college loans or let's not talk about mortgages, all right? Let's just talk about what is your consumer debt today? I was blown away. I was flabbergasted this week because I had to do some research because I was preaching on this sermon. And do you know what the average American consumer debt is today? Take a wild guess. $92,727. 
This is not college debt. This is just credit card debt. And so college kids, I just want to warn you, when you go to school, you know what? Credit card companies target you. They target, they want you to get the cards. They'll approve you no matter what. And their hope is that you will generate a lot of debt that when you get out, you're gonna pay those inexorbitant amount of interest rates. That's their goal. Don't sign up for it. Don't worry. I know some people are saying, you gotta build up your credit, you gotta build up your credit, baloney. I know you gotta do it, but one day you will. You don't have to rack up your credit. You don't have to rack up your credit card bills when you don't have the income coming in. Don't fall into that trap because if you have a lot of debt, if you're in this kind of debt where you have $90,000 in credit card debt, you love money. You're deeply in bed with money. And it's destroying your life. I know it is. Because when you have debt like that, you can't be set free. You can't live the kind of life that God wants you to live. It ruins you and it robs you of your life. And that's what it says in Proverbs 119. Proverbs 119 says this, such is the fate of all who are greedy for money. It robs them of life. When you love money, it robs you of your life. Ecclesiastes 510, this is the man who had the most money during his day, right, King Solomon, and he writes this, those who love money will never have enough. This is the problem, right? How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. It doesn't bring true happiness. And so for the young people here today, particularly those in college, right, and those who've graduated, maybe you're in your 20s right now, you've accrued some debt. You can't go back and fix those things, but you can try to fix it now. My, my encouragement to you right now is do whatever you can in your power to pay off your credit card bills. Get out of debt. Because when you are in that kind of debt, it pulls you back and there's no way you can be set free from it. Pay off your credit card debt. Pay off all the debt that you have. You know, it can be done, especially if you're in your early 20s. Sometimes you think it cannot be done. I want to I embarrass IJ a little bit. IJ, during the pandemic, you know, we don't, he doesn't make a lot of money here at Metro, right? We, I mean, it's a pastor's salary. It's a very humble salary. And he was able to pay off all of his, he didn't have credit card debt, but he was able to pay off all of his college debt during the pandemic. Whatever it takes for you to pay off your debt, I want to encourage you to do that, even if it means you have to live with your parents for a little bit. Whatever it takes so that you can begin to pay off your debt, I want to encourage you to do it. Because if you don't, you cannot help but fall in love with money. The worst symptom of, of love of money is greed. And that's why it destroys your life and my life. When you and I live in greed, there's no way you can be happy. Because you always think you need more in order to be happy. Right? And there's no way that you can. If you don't believe me, if you don't believe the Bible, look at what some of these wealthy people once said. This is John D. Rockefeller, who was the Elon Musk, the Jeff Bezos of our day today. All right, back in the day, he was the wealthiest man alive. This is what he wrote. He said, I have made millions. In today's language, it would be, I've made billions, many billions, but they have brought me no happiness. No happiness. Andrew Carnegie said this, founder of US Steel Company, he said, millionaires seldom smile. You know, it's so interesting because I, I, there was a, a wealthy guy that I knew in this church once, and he told me this. He said, you know, like, when I fly, I never see one person in business in first class smiling. Nobody's happy in business class in first class. Now, if you fly business first class, you'll know that's true. He, said, he says, you know what I have to do sometimes? I have to just get up before the plane takes off. I just got to walk through coach because when you walk through coach, you see families, they're all happy, they're excited, they're being so loud. Why? Because they're so excited and thankful that they get to get on a plane and go somewhere. He said the most depressing place to be sometimes when you get on a plane is business in first class because nobody's happy. Even though they can pay for this 
this great service so that they can fly in some comfort. And really, money doesn't buy any happiness. Don't believe, don't drink the devil's Kool-Aid to make you believe that money can buy happiness. It never can. Because if you fall in love money that way, you're going to grow in deep, deep greed. The reason why money is so destructive, the, money, the love of money is so destructive, is because a lot of us in this room, we crave security. You want to be secure. Maybe if you grew up with financial insecurity, you want to have some sense of security. I get that. Some of you actually want power. You long for power. Money is power. When you have a lot of money, guess what? You have a lot of power. You can buy things. People will look at you differently. People will treat you differently because you have money. There's a lot of power. There's a lot of status. There's a lot of respect when it comes to money. So I get the lore of money. It could be very attractive for a lot of us here. But I want you to know that it's very important that we as a church, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, for you to understand the lore of this money and for you to do whatever, can, whatever you can to fight the sin of greed. To fight the sin of greed. And the only way you and I can fight the sin of greed where we prevent ourselves from falling in love with money is generosity. That's it. It's generosity. It's you making this commitment today Today, if you're young, if you're in high school, even if you're a little kid, if you can, if you get this sermon in some ways, but for all of us, if you're in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, and your 50s, for you to get to the place in your life where you will say, I will commit my life and what I have to generosity. Because if I don't, I'm gonna live in greed. And I'm gonna fall in love with money. Again, there, I don't think I've said this, Money is not sinful. There's nothing bad or evil about money. Money is neutral. It's the love of money that's sinful. That's all it is. There's nothing wrong with money. Money is not a bad thing. It's very neutral. But it's the love of money that will destroy your life and my life. And we have to be careful of that. And so we have to grow in the sense of generosity, all right? And the place where we start as Christians is this understanding of tithing, tithing. Tithing is giving 10% of your income, whatever it is that you make, that you give to the church. Parents, I want to encourage you to make sure you teach your kids to tithe at a young age. Because when they're young and you tell them to tithe, guess what? They will do it. Because money is not valuable to them. They don't care about money when they're little kids. But when they get older and they start to make a lot of money and you say you got to start tithing, they're going to be like, no, I'm not going to do that. This money's too valuable for me. Teach them while they're young. Like for me, my wife and I, when my kids were like in New Year's, they would go and bow down to their grandparents and make a lot of money, right? We would make sure that we tell them, you got to give 10% of that to the church while they were young. And so they always thought, they always knew they got to give it. And as they're getting older, they know that tithing is such an important part to their own spiritual faith. If we didn't, ex Jenny and I, if we didn't be the example of that, we have to first show them that we're doing it, but we're telling them to do it at a young age, they probably wouldn't have done it. My son has a side hustle, all right? He sells sneakers. He makes a little bit of money. Some of you actually have brought some of his sneakers in this church, all right? And so he has a little side hustle. And I always tell him, I say, Papi, did you tithe? Did you tithe? And I'm so grateful because I don't have to keep sort of on him anymore. He says, no, I do. I just give. He's got his own account from the church, the push pay, and he gives. We have to teach our children to be generous. Because if we're not going to teach our child to be generous, then they don't have a chance. And they, too, will fall under this premise because we live in a country that loves money. We are the wealthiest country in the world, and yet we have the highest debt as a country. Do you know that? Do you know what the national debt is? 
28.8 trillion dollars. We are the most wealthiest country in the world, and yet we don't even know how to manage money. It's no wonder why Americans don't know how to handle money, because our country can't do it. So what do we expect of our citizens? They're not going to do it either. We have to wage war against this. One of the best ways in how we start this is to dedicate your lives to living a life of generosity. And the place to start is this thing called tithing. God owns everything. Do you believe that God owns everything? That he literally owns everything that you have and I have? Now, some of you, you cannot tithe because you're in incredible debt right now. And so it's really about learning to be a good steward right now. You've got to figure out a way to get out of debt. You might need some help. Somebody might have to come alongside of you and see what you're doing and help you to get out of debt. Because unless we do that, you're not going to ever be able to tithe. And I know for some of you Christians, it's amazing what we do as Christians. And I do this too, so I'm guilty of it. We always try to find loopholes, right? Whenever we, we see things in the Bible. And so a lot of Christians will say, well, tithing is Old Testament stuff. It's not New Testament stuff. You don't really see tithing in the New Testament. So can I just ask you, do you think like tithing is like, so like in the New Testament, do you think Jesus just came to like lower the standard? Jesus is always about raising the standard, isn't he? He's never about lowering. He's always about raising the standard. And so when it comes to giving, Jesus wants you to give so much more than 10%. You know what my hope is for some of you because you have the gift to make money? My hope is that for some of you, you would dedicate to living your life in such a way where you would one day be able to give 50, 60, 70, 80% or whatever you make to the things of God and you just live on 30%. My hope is that when you get a bonus, when you get a raise, you get a new job and you make a lot more money, that you wouldn't think about raising your standard of living, but you would think about raising your standard of giving. Why can't we have Christians like that? Do you know how much God will blow your mind when you start to live like that? When you have that kind of mentality? That he'll, he'll just blow your mind and the things that he'll begin to do in your life and the joy and the peace and the hope that you have and how God will use you to impact lives for all eternity. Listen, you cannot take your money with you when you die. You can't attach it to your hurts. You can't. But what you can do is invest it and build treasures in heaven that will last forever. So some of you are good investors. You invest well in the market. But why not invest in the kingdom of God? Because you can't take your stock portfolio with you when you die. Stop investing everything in something that's temporal. Invest in the kingdom of God that lasts forever. Do you believe that God owns everything? Amen. Psalms 24, 1, look at what it says. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world to all who live in it. Haggai 2, 8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Deuteronomy 8, 18, remember the Lord your God, for he, for he, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It is God who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Can you produce wealth without God? Of course you can. There are a lot of people who don't have God and they produce a lot of wealth. But if you want God to help you, God is the one who will help you to produce wealth. First Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, you are not your own. You were brought at a price. Do you believe that God owns everything that you have today? Because if you don't, you can't be generous. You can't even start the tithe. I think if you're struggling to tithe today, you're struggling in your discipleship. And perhaps you're probably struggling because you love money too much and it's got a grip on you in a way. You believe in the lies. You know, tithing is an important thing. It's, it's to help the church, yes, one, but it's to help you. It's this first line of defense so that you and I can live a life of generosity so that we don't fall in love with money. That's how much God cares for you. That he wants you to see that everything you have is God's. 
And he's saying, will you give 10% to him to protect you so that you can grow and have this heart and this mentality of generosity? It's weird because so many of us don't believe that. And that's why you have not tried it. I hope that you will. Listen, we have so many amazing people in our church. I wanna thank our partners. I think they're some of the greatest givers that, are, that I've ever seen in my life. During this pandemic, if it wasn't for our partners in our church, we wouldn't have survived. A lot of churches have closed because they didn't have the finances. But our partners, they gave, even though we were meeting online for about a year and a half. So I just wanna thank the folks in this church who have committed themselves to being generous. Thank you so much for that. Uh, two, two Thursdays ago, I got together with Andre Solomon. He does our finances. He's a CFO, and he's volunteered as a member of our church to just kind of oversee our finances because we st- we're still without an executive pastor. And he and Na, who's our finance manager, they worked at sort of cutting, they realized that they could cut expenses on things uh, already within the church, about 100000 a little over $100,000 to kind of help with the deficit, that there's a deficit right now. And so they, but he told me, he said, Peter, um, we've done the best we can to cut, but we still have about $125,000 in, uh, uh, in deficit if giving continues to stay the way it's been staying this past year. And he said, there's no way around that we're gonna have to cut ministry. And that didn't make me happy. That made me sad. Because I don't wanna cut ministry here. Because when we cut ministry, we cut the ability to impact people's lives in this church, but also outside this church. And he said, we have to figure this out. So there has, something has to change. And I say this to you because I say, some of you here, you have the wealth. Some of you watching, you have it. Some of you can get together and you can take care of that $125,000 deficit. I'm not ashamed to ask you for it, why? Because I know you'll be blessed by it. And I know that the work that we do here in this church has integrity and character, and it's really making an impact in the lives of people in our church. Will you be open to giving that, to making a short, to helping us with that deficit? Because you have the funds that God's blessed you with and invest in God's kingdom so that people's lives can be impacted and transformed for all eternity. Will you be open to doing that? We can't do it unless we're willing to be generous, and I hope that for all of you that you would dedicate your life to truly being generous. Luke 6, 38, here's what it says. Luke 6, 38, I love this. This is what Jesus has to say to generous people. He says, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. You know, if you could believe in Jesus for your eternity, if you can believe in Jesus about loving other people, you even believe in Jesus about the importance of forgiveness, why can't you believe in Jesus about your money? What's going on inside of you that's causing you to not believe that? There's a lot of things we might have to unlearn, right? You know, Dave Ramsey, I know there's a lot of controversy surrounding Dave Ramsey recently, but if you look at what he's done in terms of his teaching material, he's helped millions and millions of Christians get out of debt. People have been saved in terms of debt uh, because of what Dave Ramsey has taught. You know what his first step is in order to get out of debt when he teaches churches and Christians? He says, start with the tithe. If you're really serious about getting out of debt, you gotta start with a tithe because the only way you get out of debt is when you deal with your greed. And you cannot deal with your greed unless you believe that God owns everything. The tithe is the statement, the thundering statement that we make and we say, God, you own everything. And that's what he says. Randy Alcorn, uh, a very great theologian, a man I respect tremendously, I read a lot of his books, he writes this. He says, the tithe is God's historical method to get us on the path of giving. In that sense, it can serve as a gateway to the joy of grace giving. 
It's unhealthy to view tithing as a place to stop, but it can still be a good place to start, even under the Old Testament. It wasn't a stopping place. Don't forget the free will offerings, all right? Um, you know, years ago, long time ago, when we first started our church, uh, I was fortunate enough to have dinner with uh, Pastor Rick Warren. He just retired a few weeks ago. I don't know if you know that. He's the pastor of Saddleback Church, one of the largest churches in America. And he had dinner with about 15 of us, pastors in the New York area. And, uh, and he shared with us that he said when he wrote Purpose Driven Life, he had no idea it would sell 40 million copies. He had no idea. And so he said he got this check from Zondervan, and he said it was so much money. He didn't know what to do with all that money. He was scared because he's never seen that much money before. Rick said he never bought a new house, he never bought a new car, didn't buy a new wardrobe. He doesn't dress great, right? He didn't do that. He said, you know what he did with that money? He started to do a reverse tithe. He gave 90% of it away, and he only lived on 10 and I just think how amazing it was. And he said what he did, though, early on when he first started Saddleback, when he didn't have any money, was that he always increased his tithe by 1% every year. That's the challenge I want to give to a lot of you here today, for those who have the means. Will you think about increasing your tithe by 1% every year and see what God does in your life? I think he'll blow you away. The biggest thing is God will know that he can trust you with his money. And I think he'll bless you with a lot more, as it says in Luke, in which we just read. God wants you to know today that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Nothing will destroy your life more than when you fall in love with money. I've been the pastor of this church for 18 years. I've seen a lot of people go down because of their greed. Don't do it. And students, as you're here and you're young, don't ever, ever fall in love with money. Prevent yourself from falling into incredible debt. All right, so the root of the love of money is the root of all evil. What's the second thing the Bible says about money? Be satisfied with what you have. Be satisfied with what you have. Verse uh, Hebrews 13, 5. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you and I will never abandon you. All right, so here's the other big thing about money that you have to do you just have to be thankful for what you have. Stop comparing yourself with what other people have. Stop looking at what other people have, what other people make, and what you don't have. Because when you do that, it's going to put you in a very dark place where you're going to fall in love with money and you're going to become greedy. Just be thankful for what you have because God says if you can do that, guess what? He'll never fail you and he'll never abandon you. Do you know what that's like? Do you know what that's like when you can live a life when you know that God will never fail you nor abandon you? Don't you want to know what that's like? For some of you, it's a hypothetical. It's so abstract when you read this, when you read and say, I will never fail you, I will never abandon you, because you feel like God has failed you. You feel like God has abandoned you many times. I get it. Don't you want to know what it feels like to know that God will never fail you nor abandon you? One of the things he says is don't just be satisfied with what you have. Just be happy and thank God and be grateful for whatever money you have today, amen? Just be grateful about it. Because when you can, God will never fail you and he'll never abandon you. Of course you can have more. Of course it would be great to make more money. Listen, I would like to have more money. I would love to know, like, you know, I would love to not have to worry about where my daughter's college education is gonna go to, right? Like the tuition bills. We sent Kayla off to college on Friday. Now I got two in college, right? And I gotta worry about two, paying off two tuitions. They don't qualify for EOF students. 
They don't. And so I have to figure this out with Jenny. And you know what it's been? Christina's in her senior year now. It has been an amazing adventure of God never failing us and never abandoning us. As long as Jenny and I can be grateful for what we have. I love it. I love this, that I can go into this, and it's not an easy place to be, but for me to know that no matter what, as long as I stay true to myself, as long as I am committed to being generous to expand the kingdom of God, that God will never abandon me, nor he'll never fail me. And it's been great to see what God's been doing. God has blessed us financially in ways that I never thought. You know, I have a good friend, his name is Greg Jackson, he's in his 70s, and we get together for lunch a lot. And I remember when my kids were like, like when Christina was like a sophomore in high school, I started to get worried about, where's the money gonna come from? How are we gonna pay for her education? And I sat with him and he just looked at me and he said, Peter, I promise you, God will provide a way. Now, you know, that's something pastors always say, right? So I thought, yeah. He said, don't worry, I've been through it. I had to put three to college. And God always provides. He always provides, and he does. But here's the thing. You got to be grateful. You got to be grateful for what you have. Stop comparing yourself with other people's money and be happy and content with what you have because you have so much, so much. Be grateful. Thank God for what you have. That's the second thing the Bible teaches us about money. Be satisfied with what you have. And the last thing that the Bible says about money can't serve God and money at the same time. So you got to make a choice today. Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve money? They are the two most polarizing things where Jesus says that the only way that when you choose, you're going to end up despising the other thing, right? Look at what it says in Matthew 6, 24. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. God and money are so polarizing that you can't sort of have both and, like, and be okay and be content with it. Either you're going to serve God today or you're going to serve money. And when you choose to serve God, then you will despise money. When you choose to serve money, then you will despise God. That's, there's no other way around it. So what are you going to choose today? Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve money? Because we've got to make that choice before we leave here today. My hope is that you would choose to serve God. And when you choose to say, I will serve you, God, here's what you're choosing to do. You are choosing to live your life where you will commit and believe in your heart that God owns everything you have and everything you will ever have in the future. And that you will commit yourself to living your life of complete generosity so that you do not fall in love with money. And that you will commit yourself for being thankful and grateful for whatever it is that you have that God has given to you. That is living for God and choosing to live for God rather than choosing to live for money. When you vest in the kingdom of God, when you choose to live for God, then you know that your money is being used to impact people's lives. You know, 9-11, we're going to remember it next week. And I don't know where you were. Every single one of you knew where 9-11, where you were when 9-11 happened. Everyone knew exactly where you were when those buildings came down. You knew, didn't you? Because you saw all those people die. Thousands and thousands of people died. Do you know every day millions of people die around the world and they don't know Jesus? They don't know Jesus. Does that get to you at all? The apathy that we have, the deep sense of coldness of our heart where it's become 
we no longer have a heart for people who would die from this world not knowing Jesus. The Bible makes it very clear. When somebody passes from this earth and they don't believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will be judged to eternal damnation, which means hell. Does that impact your heart at all? To know that every day, hundreds and thousands of people are dying and they don't know Jesus Christ. God wants you to invest your money into the church because church is the greatest vehicle in how people come to know Jesus Christ. God wants you to invest in other organizations that are doing their best to serve and love on other people so that they can understand what God's love is really about. But we as Christians, I think we've forgotten about it. And we have the resources to make a difference. Will you choose to live for money? Will you choose to live for Jesus today? When you choose to live for Jesus, what you're saying is simply this. Everything you have is God's. And Zacchaeus shows us this is true. Remember the story of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a very wealthy tax collector, super wealthy. But he got wealthy by overcharging people's taxes. The Jewish folks hated him because they knew that this guy got wealthy off the hard-earned money off their backs. But he also cheated them as well. Right? And so he wasn't seen as a person where they, where they embraced him. He was an ostracized person. He was a loner. Well, Jesus was in town, and he wanted to take a glimpse of Jesus because he heard all the rumblings and all the good things about Jesus Christ. Right? And so when he sees Jesus, he couldn't see him because he was so short. And so what does he do? He climbs up a tree. And I want to take it from here. And I want you to see what happens to him, and I want you to see how Jesus responds to him. Look at Luke 19, verses 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked, at, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said. Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in the great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be a guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give back them four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Zacchaeus didn't say, Jesus, I believe that you're my Lord and Savior. He didn't say that. He didn't say, I believe in you, Jesus. What did he simply say? I'm going to give half my wealth to the poor, and the people who are ripped off, I'm going to give them back four times as much that I took from them. Jesus saw that, and he said, salvation has come to this home today. Why? Because Zacchaeus made a choice. He chose to live for Jesus and no longer money. And how did he know? He realized at that point, Jesus owns everything. He's just going to give it all away. Now, I think that's a hard story for a lot of us because I don't know if that's really our narrative. I think our narrative is more like the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler had everything. He was going to church. He was probably leading a Bible study. He might even be an elder in the church. He was doing everything right. He was living the life that God wanted him to live. And so he goes up to Jesus and he says, hey, what do you think I need to do? to be like a real follower of Jesus Christ. And look at how Jesus responds in, in, in verse 16 of Matthew 19, right? Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must they do to get eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good and if you wanna enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and your mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do, what, what, what do I still lack? 
And then Jesus goes in for the jugular. He says, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. The rich young ruler was living the life for God. He was following the commandments, like many of us do as well. But at the end of the day, Jesus knew that he was still living for money. And he said, will you give it all up for me? And what did he do? He went away sad because he said, no, I can't do it. And he walked away from his faith in God because of it. It's a sad tragedy. And this is a, a great proof text, the story of Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler, where Jesus always wants you to give more than just a tithe. He always raises the standard of giving, never lowering it. So you have a choice today, young people, older people, more mature people. Will you live for Jesus or will you live for money? What's the choice? You cannot do both. You can't be diplomatic about both. You're either gonna choose one, and when you choose whatever that is, you will despise the other thing. And so if Jesus came here today and said, give all you have, give all you have to the, to the church so that people can come to know Jesus, give all you have to those who are truly needing it, would you do it? Would you do it? How many of us would be like the rich young ruler and we just go away sad? And you just thought, well, God, I just thought maybe if I just went to church, served, maybe served as a leader that I would be okay. God wants all of you because he loves every, all of you. He doesn't just want some of you. And when you hold back and you trust more in money and you can't give it because you love money too much, he's asking you for all of it, not because he just wants you to be miserable, but he wants all of it because you are already miserable. That's why the rich young ruler went to Jesus and said, what must I do? I don't know how to do this. I'm doing everything right, but I'm still miserable. And he says, well, if you want to be perfect, give your love for money. Give it all up for me. And he said, I can't do that. Jesus is asking you for everything right now, not because he wants to make your life miserable, but he's doing it because he loves all of you. Right now, you're not able to live the life he wants you to live because money has such a strong grip over your life today. Money is the root to all evil. If you fall in love with money, it is the root to all kinds of evil. So don't ever fall in love with money. Choose to live for God, live for Jesus over money, and uh, be satisfied with what you have. Can I just encourage you? Don't sweat rich people. Honestly, no offense if you're rich, you don't have much when I look at you. You just have money. And if you have God in the process, that's even better. I, I really admire that. But I've met so many rich people over the years. I don't sweat them at all because all they have is money. I have Jesus, who's the richest creator in the face of this universe. If you can be content with what you have, he said he'll never abandon you and he'll never fail you. One of my favorite movies is Schindler's List. And I know for you guys, you're like, what? Schindler's List came out in 1993, produced, directed by Steven Spielberg. Won an Oscar in 93. And it's a great movie. It's a true story about Oscar Schindler, who was a businessman, a German businessman in, in, in World War II. And you guys know World War II was the, was the greatest atrocity in, in human history. It was when Hitler uh, killed millions and millions of Jewish people. It was a genocide of just horrible, horrible proportions. 
right? And Oscar Schindler saw what he was doing was so wrong and what he did, because he didn't want any Jewish people to die just because of their ethnicity. And so what he did was that he spent his entire wealth and he brought Jewish people, he brought them as employees to save their lives. He saved over a thousand people. This is a true story. And this is towards the end, World War II, they were losing, Germany was losing, and it was at that point where the US and other countries were capturing the, the people who were wealthy, the people who were in the political party that were supporting Hitler. There was a chance that Oscar Schindler might go to jail because they think because of his wealth that maybe he sided and he was a part of the Hitler regime. And so this is the last scene, and he's getting ready to leave. He's, he's heading west in hopes that he can escape, but if he heads west, he believes that if he gets caught, he's gonna get caught by the Americans, and if he gets caught by the Americans, then Hopefully they'll treat him well, right? This is the very last scene. I just want you to watch this scene. So I think it's indicative of how God would will love your heart to be today for those who are dying. Tim, can we roll? We've written a letter trying to explain things in case you were captured. Every worker has signed it. Why did I keep the car? Then 
people right there. Ten people. Ten more people. This pin. Two people. This is gold. Two more people. What will you do for one life? There's a world out there where there's people even outside here in Englewood that wake up every morning and they wonder if there's any hope in life if it's really worth it to even live another day. What will you do for that one life? My hope and my prayer is that all of you will commit yourself to living a life where you choose to live for Jesus and not money, because a money is a terrible master over your life. When you die, will you be remembered and as somebody who accumulated treasures on this earth that you couldn't keep? Or will you be recognized as someone who invested treasures in heaven that you couldn't lose? My hope is that you would choose the latter. Are you going to live for Jesus? Or are you going to live for good money? It's your choice. The Bible makes it very clear that when you choose to live for money, you will decide, you will despise God. Let's pray. So that's a choice that you have to make today. And even if you're young here today, uh, if you're in high school or fourth, fifth grade, I think you could have gotten the gist of this message. At your age, I would love for you to say, you know what, God, please help me to live for you and not money. At your age, if you could pray that prayer, I believe God will answer it as you become an adult. For you in college, I want you to make that decision today. Will you live for Jesus or will you live for money? It's your choice, but if you choose to live for Jesus, I think God's going to help you, and he'll do whatever he can to answer that prayer for you so that you know the height and depth and width of his love and that you know that generosity is the place in which you can live true happiness in life. It's not how much money you make. And then for everyone else, we're here. Some of you have incredible wealth. Some of you have done really well. Will you give your wealth away? Will you decide to live for Jesus? Say, you know what, I can make an impact in the life for God's kingdom. Will you do that? Will you choose not to and just choose to still live for money? We're never too late to choose to live for Jesus. And I hope that you'll be content in what you have. And so just go to God and make that decision today and I'm just gonna close this in prayer and we'll continue in our service. We'd love for our children to respond if it's okay. Our, our students, if you're a student here, regardless of age, and if you caught some of this message, I want to pray for you today. 
If you've chosen to live for Jesus and not money, I really want to pray for you. So would you mind raising your hand and you can put it down. Once I see it, I'll say I see it. Just raise your hand and I would love to pray for you today. Would you raise your hand if you want to live for Jesus and not money? Any student that feels compelled to do it. I see your hand. You can put it down. Or it doesn't even have to be a student. It could be somebody older. Would anyone want to raise their hand? I'll pray for you today. I see your hand. You can put it down. Anyone else? I see your hand. You can put it down. Anyone else would like to prayer, special prayers? Say, Peter, pray for me. Because I don't want to live for money anymore. I'm going to live for Jesus. Anyone else? Any students? I see your hand. You can put it down. Anyone else? Amen. I see your hand. You can put it down. God bless you, young lady. Anyone else? I see your hand. You can put it down. Thank you. Yeah. This is great. God, I pray for those hands that have been raised. God, I pray that you would honor their decision, God, that you would come upon their lives in such a way, God, that they would no longer live for money, but they would live for you. I pray for these young students who raised their hand. God, that they would never fall in love with money. God, that they would fall deeper in love with you. Would you just be with them, Lord? Guide them as they're so young and precious, as they're gonna live their life. They have the whole world to look out, that they have looked forward to. And I pray as they live for you, God, that you would do something wonderful in their lives. I pray if you've given some of these, that the gift to make a lot of money, God, that they would give it all away that they would be like Zacchaeus and realize that money does not lead to happiness. He had so much money, but he was miserable and he realized that it's only Jesus is the only way. And so God, all the hands that were raised today, would you help them to live their lives for you and so that they would learn very hard to despise money, to despise greed in such a way so that they never fall in love with the temptation that money has for us today. So be with them, God. Be with them and watch over them, God. And be with all those that are in this place where they're struggling. I pray for those that are in debt today, tremendous debt. God, I pray that you'll help them. Rather than them being discouraged, I pray that you'll show them today something could be different. They can change their ways, but they're gonna have to ask for help. And so God, would you allow them to meet some people to help them to get out of debt, somebody who has a gift to help them with this, that would help them. And so God, would you help us as a church to be generous? I pray that Metro will be seen as one of the generous communities here in the Englewood area, God, that we would be so generous in what we wanna do here in the city and beyond the world. And I pray that that generosity is what would mark us, God, and that we would truly believe in our hearts that storing up treasures in heaven is far greater than storing up treasures on earth. And so it's in your name that we pray, amen.